Listening to Open Up the Wall, Revelations of a Renovation Contractor. Now, this is what they call a quote, inspirational memoir. It's about my career change from award-winning actor to the owner of my own construction company. It's definitely a memoir, and throughout the 14 episodes of this podcast, you're gonna meet some wonderful characters on both sides of the tool belt. This podcast is an edited version of the 27-chapter book of the same title. And it's available in e-form or hard copy. You can find out more about the book and about me, the author, Jeff Bowes, on my website, www.openupthewall.com. Feel free to leave any questions or comments you may have. I'd love to hear from you. So I survived Episode seven's edition of Death, but it was a horrible experience, made worse by my mentor and my friend Stan dumping me. At that time, I was too inexperienced to comprehend Stan's extraordinarily stressful position of being responsible for a crew working 20 feet above the ground with no control over the wind and the weather, all the while keeping the clients calm when the shitstorm blew in. I would come to that realization soon enough. For now, here is Episode 8, The Help. Well, on to the next. By now, I had jobs lined up in advance. My client list was growing, and even though I knew that I would never have the fearless confidence of Stan, I was making forays out of my comfort zone, and I was taking on more and more ambitious projects. But I still didn't have a crew to help me move things along. As a professional contractor, I was incomplete, and it weighed on me. An older couple, Mr. and Mrs. Vance, wanted to upgrade their 30-year-old bathroom. New tile floor, new bathtub, shower, new window, cupboard, everything. Now, there's only one way to redo a bathroom properly. The walls have to be opened up, right down to the studs, so that all the plumbing and the wiring is exposed. Opening up the wall is the only way to see the ugly surprises behind it, and there is always something. Apart from old galvanized pipe or knob and tube wiring running behind the tub, I've seen a plug covered over with a tile. I've seen a garden hose used as a drain pipe, copper pipe held together with saran wrap and duct tape, and of course lots and lots of mold. My waking nightmare is that if I don't expose these problems at the start, they'll come back to bite me later, and I'll have to rip out all my new work just to fix them. I gave Mr. and Mrs. Vance a price of $12,000, leaving myself a contingency of 2000 for trouble behind the walls. Mr. Vance had the look. How long will this job take? Three weeks. That long? Three weeks is pretty standard for a bathroom of this size. I had calculated six days. I nearly choked. Was he trying to negotiate a time frame? Or was he just naive? I couldn't do it in six days, I said. Perhaps that company that only does bathrooms might be a bit faster. You may have seen their ads. Mr. Vance shook his head. What's going to take so long? I have a lot of structure to replace. And then it takes time to properly prepare and level the 90-year-old floor and walls for tile. If you want things to go faster, a linoleum floor can be... 
Again he shook his head. That would be hideous. Then it will take me about three weeks, fifteen working days. You don't work on the weekends? No, I spend my weekends with my family. Well then, you'd better get started. Mr. and Mrs. Vance could have stepped out of Grant Wood's painting American Gothic, that morose couple standing in front of their barn, the man holding a pitchfork. There was also the scent of Elizabeth Arden bath salts awaking an eerie childhood memory. And the Vance home was immaculate. This told me that even the slightest departure from perfectly clean would be the wall between us. The first thing to do when working in someone's living space is to tape up sheets of plastic and put down drop cloths. This obviously contains debris and dust, but more importantly, it reassures the client that they chose a professional who has respect for their home. I doubled the drop cloths on the Vance floor, and I doubled the plastic on the walls until the place looked like an alien womb. And then after that, I began the process of loading in my tools. In the back of my truck, I keep my tool bag, a milk crate of power tools, and a hockey bag of cordless tools. In my basement at home, I keep the table saw, the vacuum, the miter saw, the levels, and six plastic tubs full of parts and material. Each one is labeled in magic marker, plumbing, electrical, drywall, demolition, tile. For this bathroom job, every bit of this gear would eventually get loaded into Mr. and Mrs. Vance's second-floor hallway. On day one, they have no way of knowing that by day 15, they will be utterly fed up with me, my tools, and the disruption in their lives. I know it all too well, so I know to keep a tight daily schedule. And this means decline any offers of coffee or muffins, do not stop for lunch, and at the end of the day, pack all the tools into the bathtub space, then vacuum and load the garbage out before they start making dinner. I could feel myself putting pressure on myself. Under the circumstances, it was only natural, because periodically I would see Mr. and Mrs. Vance drift by, together. They would peer through the plastic as I worked. They never spoke not even to each other, just two silhouettes behind plastic, standing there, watching me, never uttering a sound. It was all in my head that Mr. and Mrs. Vance would jump me and inject me with a sleep serum, roll me in my own plastic and watch me suffocate. My discomfort came from the fact that they gave away nothing. I couldn't tell if they were happy with what I was doing or not, and this kept me awake, and it made me worry. About what? That they didn't like me, personally? Well, yes, actually. It's really important that my clients don't dislike me. I'm the messy intruder into their lives. Therefore, a crucial part of my job is to make the homeowner comfortable with my presence. I have to be the one to build the trust between us so that they can't build a wall of fear. Apart from expecting the job to be done on time and on budget, they're expecting me to disarm the alarm every morning when I arrive, pat the dog and not let the cat out while I load in tons of gear and material, sign for delivery packages, schedule quiet work for when the baby goes down, and give tours to curious neighbors. In other words, fit into the family lifestyle. It's an undeniably false relationship. It's like a never-ending second date with equal parts of trust and wariness. But when the routine is established and the walls come down, mutual respect is established and nice people come together. As I opened up the plumbing wall and I cut away the galvanized pipe, 
I regretted my decision not to call in a helper to haul out the debris and bring the new material in. Might have saved me a day overall, but Mrs. Vance had repeatedly brought up her concern about noise and dust, so I decided to keep the lowest possible profile. Besides, I had John the plumber coming in to run new drain pipes and put in the tub. That would be noisy enough. John worked for a large plumbing company that had vans with their logo on them and shirts with their names on them. We had identified each other as the only workman in a lunchtime deli one day, so we sat together. John was a sculptor, working with metal for the past 22 years. Despite healthy sales and the odd artist grant, he got his plumbing license to support a family. He felt like a good fit for me, so I called his plumbing company and I booked him for the Vance job. But on the day, they sent two other guys. "'Where's John?' I asked. "'Eh, somewhere in the West End. I don't know where,' said the short one. "'But, you know, we're all licensed plumbers, so it doesn't really matter.' "'Okay,' I said. "'Come on upstairs. I'll show you the alcove I built for the drop-in tub.' They stood staring. "'Oh, fuck,' said the one. "'Fucking tight, eh? Really fucking tight,' said the other. I could hear Mr. and Mrs. Vance on the floor below, and I knew that they were unwilling auditors to this conversation. "'I built it exactly to the installation specs,' I said, trying to keep the exasperation out of my voice. The short plumber sighed dramatically and said, "'We'll get it in. I'm just saying it's pretty fucking tight.' "'It's supposed to be tight,' I said. "'There can't be a gap.' I'm putting tile around the tub. You must know that. I knew they were just complaining about having to work in a tight space because the short plumber said, yeah, well, yeah, but this is as tight as a nun's cunt. I mean, this is going to be a fucking bitch for us. Watch your mouth, I hissed. The homeowners are downstairs. Oh, fuck. Sorry. The tub fit perfectly, but the two of them cursed their way through the job anyway, substituting the old-fashioned swear noun, whore, pronounced hoor for any inanimate object. So this hoor's jamming on that hoor, so if we lower together at the same time, she's going to slide in like a good wet fuck. My crew search was off to a dreadful start. I had made such an effort to make Mr. and Mrs. Vance comfortable with me in their home. I had reassuring drop cloths on the stairs and comforting plastic over furniture. I tiptoed respectfully over the hardwood. I didn't play music. And in less than an hour, these Philistines had cussed away the working relationship that I had tried so hard to maintain with this icy couple. As I was tiptoeing out that night, Mrs. Vance loomed from the darkness at the bottom of the stairs. Those men who are here, are they friends of yours? Absolutely not, Mrs. Vance. I hired them for their abilities, but I couldn't control their language. I'm sure it was upsetting to you. I waited for a response, but Mrs. Vance just kept looking at me. Finally, I said, I apologize for bringing them into your home, and I can assure you that they will not be back. Ah. Uh, that being said, Mrs. Vance, they did good work. Ah. Uh, well, good night. She followed me to the door, and I heard a bunch of locks click into place behind me. I finished the job alone and uncomfortable. Whenever I looked over my shoulder, I could see the specter of Mr. and Mrs. Vance peering at me from behind the plastic. On my final vacuum of the place, Mr. Vance appeared at my elbow, startling me. He was wearing a tartan tie. 
please join us in the kitchen, he said. I followed him to the kitchen where Mrs. Vance stood behind a table with three liqueur glasses and a single plate with three small shortbreads on it. I hope you can appreciate that, given the state of your working clothes, we have elected to offer our thanks to you in the kitchen rather than in the living room, he said. Of course, I replied. When we all had glass in hand, Mr. Vance said, To a job well done. We are pleased. Thank you. We drank something really sweet, and Mrs. Vance said, It's a nice deep bathtub, isn't it? Room for two in there, added Mr. Vance. Mrs. Vance lowered her eyes and tittered, Oh, oh Bill! The best description of a joyous feeling of freedom that I have ever read is a line by Henry James. It was June, and I was eight. I thought of it now as I shut the Vance door behind me and then raced down the street as fast as I could for the sheer joy of it. Hanging over me was my lack of a good crew and reliable subtrades. My next job was the largest one I had ever undertaken, and I would need some experienced help in order to pull it off. A producer of reality shows wanted two small sound booths with two control rooms built into his new space, and it was on the second floor of an old warehouse. He also wanted to partition off a lobby area with a small kitchen to one side. The space was empty. It was all mine. I felt like I could breathe again. No drop cloths, no tiptoeing, no nightly vacuuming. Man, I could drop my tool belt in the middle of the floor at the end of the day and pick it up from the same spot the next morning. It was my favorite kind of job. The client, Jeremy, introduced me to the sound engineer, who gave me beautifully detailed drawings of the two sound booths that I was to build. And then I was introduced to the designer, C.J., who told me of her concept for the control rooms in the lobby. For the most part, designers have little to no understanding of how things get built. So after choosing the colors and the fabrics, most of them are out of their league when they have to talk to the contractor about practical application. This can put them on the defensive, and that's when it gets difficult to deal with them. This designer's concept for lobby partitions was a series of huge wooden boxes the size of single mattresses perched upright on little pipe legs. Won't they tip over? I asked. C.J. dressed in layers. Her top layer was a long, wide scarf, which she tossed dramatically over her shoulder, dismissing my concern with, That's up to you, darling. And she was right. In the end, it was up to me to make everything work out and look pretty. How much extra the concept would cost the client would not be on her invoice, it would be on mine. I made sure that Jeremy was aware of this. There was a lot of grunt work on this job, so along with a plumber and an electrician, I needed a lot of unskilled labor. The son of a friend of mine had been calling me repeatedly, bugging me to get a job. I admired his persistence, so I gave him a call. Okay, Eli. I can use you on my next job. Great! This is great! When do I start? Wednesday, 8 a.m. in the East End. Oh, I, I couldn't make it for 8. I live in the North End, so I'd, like, I'd have to get up at 6 to get there for 8. You want to make it 9.30? No, I start at 8. Uh, 
Okay, well, thanks anyway. What the fuck? I thought about calling Stan to see if he wanted to work with me, but I was still too uncomfortable with the way we'd parted. Little Seamus from up the street was back from university. Little Seamus had grown into a towering, muscle-bound graduate of a drama program. I'm looking for a job between acting gigs, he said. You're hired, I said. Seamus worked out very well. He showed up on time and he caught on quickly. I hired three young actors to manhandle the 150-plus sheets of MDF and 5-8-inch drywall that would hang on the framing. They got along and they worked well together, unloading stacks of material from the truck, carrying it to the elevator, and then through the narrow corridors to the loft space. Apart from denting a few walls, it was a good first day. At 8.07 the next day, Tuesday, the first one arrived. The second at 8.09, the third at 8.11. They finished their coffee and they went onto the fire escape for a smoke. At 8.25, they got to work. At 8.12 on Wednesday, they all came in together. They'd met up at Starbucks, decided to finish their coffee there. Then they arrived at work and went out for a smoke. By Friday, it was 8.20 before any of them arrived and went to the fire escape for a smoke. At the end of the week, I handed each one of them a check. They stared at them, then they compared them, and finally, "Uh, Jeff, I think you made a mistake. There's not enough pay here. You each got paid for 38 and a half hours work. Seamus got paid for 40 hours. Did you notice him working when you arrived late every single day? They were flabbergasted. You should have warned us. You deceived us rather than talking to us. I was expecting a bit of consternation, but not such howling self-righteous anger. Nothing I said could convince them that they did not deserve to be paid for 40 hours when they were only in the building for 38 and a half hours. They defended their position with progressively more illogical arguments. It's the principle of the thing. Yeah, did you take off money when we took a leak? It's the same thing. Yeah, we can't trust you anymore. Yeah, you're not reliable, you know that? Then they all stormed off to the fire escape and called their agents on me. Ten minutes later, though, they came back and stood in a line facing me, not looking at me. One of them announced, We're going to give you the benefit of the doubt, so, like, see you Monday. In Platoon, Charlie Sheen has the line, Hell is the absence of reason. My primary focus was still on finding help. I kept hearing good things about Chris the Plumber. When I found out that his company name was Plummet to Earth, I had to call him. His voice was so deep, rich, and loud, I had to hold the phone away from my ear when we arranged to meet. The next afternoon, a lanky guy ambled in, grinned, and boomed, Hi, I'm looking for Jeff. The four young actors came around the corner to see where such a voice was coming from. I was so relieved to talk with a bright, like-minded individual who loved to laugh, but I hired him on the spot. He became popular with everybody, and thank God, he was a brilliant plumber. He was in. I had known Jimmy since drama school. He'd achieved fame and fortune in a number of children's series, but a costly marital breakup was now forcing him to supplement his income in the reno business, so I called him in for finished carpentry in the control room. It had to be years since I'd seen his impish face or heard his unabashed, non-stop vegetarian farting. Anyway, he was in. 
And then I called Carl, an electrician I'd met on an earlier job. He seemed to be a warm, gentle guy, so I hired him. And he was great for a few days, and then he stopped showing up when he said he would. That screwed up my schedule, and it made me mad. So on the third no-show, I called him and I left a message. I can't rely on you, so you're fired. Get your gear out of here by 4.30. About an hour later, he stormed in and without a word, snatched up his tool bag and advanced towards me. His mouth was open, and we all eagerly awaited his parting shot. But instead, he kicked me a glancing blow to my groin, said, Fuck you, loser, and stomped off to the elevator. All the young actors fell about laughing. The studios were finished, on time and on budget, with me working well into the night for the last two weeks. Finally, all the soundproof doors were on, all the large glass panes were in the recording booths, and I was worn out. The scope of the project was huge, and I had done a very poor job of estimating how long it would take and how much help I would need. But, uncharacteristically, I didn't beat myself up about it. I focused instead on all that I had accomplished so far from my comfort zone. One crucial thing remained to be done. I was to hang sound baffles on the wall of each booth, neatly mounted in big picture frames. The sound baffles were to be delivered in two weeks, so it was arranged that I would come back to build the 12 picture frames, install the sound baffles, and secure them to the walls. When I called two weeks later, the recording engineer with a stupid patch of hair growing under his bottom lip said, We don't need you anymore because I put the sound baffles in by myself. Good for you, I said. I'll be by for my final payment. He'd done a horrible, messy job of nailing baffles all over the wall, stapling wrinkled canvas all over them, and covering the seams with baseboard. Baseboard! I asked Jeremy if the designer had endorsed this part of her concept. Jeremy said no. C.J. had left in a huff over an unrelated matter. Then he offered me extra cash to make the walls look better. Jeremy said he couldn't afford to take everything out and start again, so I just got rid of the baseboard. I tidied up the messy walls as best I could. I said nothing about the damage to my reputation that this ugly job could potentially cost me. I'm used to homeowners who think they can save a few bucks by putting the finishing touches on my work. When they say, I'll do the painting, or I can put the lights up, I don't really care. But for the money saved, the end result often looks sloppy and unprofessional. If there are visible paint streaks in the new bathroom, well, they're the ones who have to look at it. Anyway, what choice do I have? A studio, on the other hand, can expect hundreds of people going through it every year. All of them will notice how horribly these recording booths were finished, and that is all they will notice. Short of nailing a disclaimer to the door, the contractor had nothing to do with the finish on these walls, There was nothing that I could do to protect my reputation. What was particularly galling was that now the best-looking part of the project was a stupid designer's stupid lobby. At least the sound engineer was pleased. I'm getting great tone out of these rooms, he said. I could care less what they look like. Oblique praise. I was still disappointed. I had thought of bringing the family through the studio just to let them see firsthand why I came home every night tired and filthy. I wanted them to understand what was so appealing about my career change. I wanted them to be impressed with what I had done. I I wanted them to be proud of me. Instead, I just left that job off my CV.